Have you ever had a hard time grasping grace? Well, this is The Christian Working Woman, and I'm Julie Bastide. And today, Lisa Bishop is talking about grace and why it can be hard to take hold of and what to do about it. Lisa, we hear a lot about God's grace, but it seems like it's something we have a hard time understanding. I agree. I think we read about grace in the Bible and we know we've been saved by grace, but I think sometimes the word grace is kind of thrown around a little bit and we don't really know what it means, or if we do, it can be super challenging to live it out, to receive grace and actually be grace to others. And I think if we really grasped grace, our lives and our relationships would be radically different. Mm -hmm. For sure. I know I can struggle at times to receive grace and give grace to others. Mm -hmm. And yet God's word in 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, grow in the grace and knowledge of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. The Bible gives us a high, uh, fine reputation to live up to, doesn't it? (laughs) It sure does. And thanks for being honest about that, Julie. You know, you're not alone. And thank God that he is gracious to us as we grow in grace. Mm, Agreed. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing and learning more about grasping God's grace. Thanks, Julie. Well, as we get started in talking about grace, I want to take you back to a hot summer day in the mid-80s as I was entering my mid-teen years. I still get flashbacks from my spiral permed hair that blew away all height restrictions with the backcombing and amount of aquanet hairspray I used, but I digress. On this particular summer day, I was in the driveway of my childhood home, really excited to wash my dad's 79 Oldsmobile. Now, I know that may sound weird, actually enjoying washing a car, but for a little bit of a backstory, my dad loved cars. And growing up, I would see him take meticulous care of them by washing and waxing them on a pretty regular basis. A clean car made my dad really happy, so I was eager to get out my bucket of soapy water and pull out the long green garden hose to make the boxy, brown, five-seater, top-of-the-line car shine. I didn't have my driver's license yet and had never driven, let alone been behind the wheel of a car, so my dad pulled a car out of the garage and parked it in the driveway for me to wash while he did some gardening in the backyard. So there I am, lathering up my dad's Oldsmobile, rinsing it off, and using old bath towels to dry it until it glimmered. I was so proud, and even happier to know, that this was something that would really mean a lot to him. To impress my dad a bit more, I thought how cool it would be if I not only washed the car, but I parked it all by myself in the garage. Now mind you, on the other side of the garage was my dad's prized possession, a 69 Firebird convertible, gold with a white top in mint condition and perfectly polished. You can probably see where this story is heading. So I get behind the wheel of this brown boat of a car and I'm aiming to park it into the garage when instead I nervously drive it into the left side of the garage door. In a panic, my foot hits the gas and I swerve to the right. Now I've managed to not only dent the right side of the car but I also sideswipe my dad's precious convertible. I know you're probably wondering, what were you thinking? Well, evidently, I wasn't thinking super clearly. And at this point, I'm completely freaked out. I'm scared to death to tell my dad what happened. I was worried that he's going to be really, really mad at me. So in my hysteria, I find my mom. And when in the midst of hyperventilating, I tell her what happened, she says, don't worry, everything will be just fine. We proceeded to walk to the backyard to tell my dad. And when I told him what happened, I'll never forget what he said. I love you, Lisa. It's just a car. We can get it fixed. You're more important to me than a car. Now, in that moment, I expected to get what I deserved, a tongue lashing for my carelessness and a life sentence to my bedroom, but that's not what I received at all. Instead, 
I was the recipient of something powerful, the powerful and impactful gift of grace. The grace my dad extended to me that day did something to my mind and heart forever that left an impression. It taught me, amongst many things, to value people over possessions. My dad's selfless act was based on his character. He saw how fearful and upset I was, and he chose to respond with mercy and kindness rather than erupt and be rash with his words. When he could have punished me, instead, he lavished me with love. The concept of grace can be super hard to grasp, but it was made really tangible to me that hot summer day in 1984. Ephesians 1, 3-8 tells us about the grace that has been given to us in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, this is a powerful reminder of the divine nature of God and the favor that he has towards all who believe in Jesus Christ, that you have been redeemed. All of your sins and mishaps and mess-ups have been forgiven because as his kid, God gives you the riches of his grace. He doesn't just sprinkle grace. He lavishes you. And to lavish means to furnish one richly so that he has an abundance. It's like paying for one scoop of your favorite ice cream and getting three scoops instead. Okay, that's not a great analogy, but I think you get the point. We can tend to have such a scarcity mindset when it comes to grace because we base it on our performance or how deserving we are when God bases grace on how generous he is. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells the parable of a man who had two sons. The younger son basically asks his father for an advance on his share of the inheritance that would eventually come to him. And it's an odd and really somewhat insulting request, seeing that his father was still alive and inheritances are received after someone dies. But at any rate, the father divides his property and gives the younger son his half. The son blows all of his inheritance in reckless living and finds himself broke. So he decides to head back home and confess his sins against his father and against God. As he's approaching his father's house, his father sees him from a distance and is filled with compassion, running to embrace his son. He proceeds to clothe his son in the best robe, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He even brings the fattened calf to be slaughtered and holds a feast to eat and celebrate. He says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Instead of getting what the younger son deserved, his father celebrates his son's return and lavishes him in grace. Listen, the grace of God was given to you as a gift when you put your trust in Jesus. No strings attached. As Jesus hung on the cross, he poured out his blood for you so that he could pour out his grace and favor on you. It's not because of your performance or perfection. It's actually a result of your position before God. Loved, justified, redeemed in Christ. And I know it's so hard to grasp because we're not deserving of it. All the times we fail and flub and sometimes just downright disobey. But God is not waiting to punish you or condemn you. 
His forgiveness and grace never run out. They're free gifts that keep on giving. This extravagant grace isn't a favor you can achieve by being good. It's the gift you receive by being God's. But that's not the way it always was. Israel, God's chosen people, lived under the law, not under grace. Like us, they were disobedient, so God established the sacrificial system, which included sacrificing an unblemished animal. The animal acted as a substitute, paying the price with its life for the person's sin. The shedding of blood and death provided a symbolic way for their wrongdoing to be covered and forgiven. But since it was humanly impossible to obey every aspect of all 613 commandments, God handed down through Moses— God the Father graciously sent His Son Jesus to fulfill the law for us through His death. Our Savior's sinless life gives us permanent forgiveness because He died once for all sins. When He shed His blood, Jesus covered your sin, and the result is a personal relationship with God and an abundance of never-ending grace. Is there an area of your life where you find it hard to receive God's grace because you feel you don't deserve it? The best way to receive God's grace— is to thank Him for it. I think we miss God's grace because we tend to take things for granted without even knowing it at times. We think good things that happen are just mere coincidences, or we don't even stop to think about it being a result of God's goodness. Anything good that happens in your life, whether it's a a new job, a promotion, or getting assigned to an important project at work, a new relationship, a financial blessing or friendship— Even a trial that you might be facing is a place for God's grace because He's with you. Grace is a result of God's faithfulness. So stop and thank Him. And as a matter of fact, what can you stop and thank God for in this very moment? The other thing about God's grace is that it's meant to train and motivate you to be godly and live a life of obedience to Him. Grace isn't something to take for granted or a license to sin, as the Apostle Paul declares in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. When you sin, be quick to confess. Ask for forgiveness and repent. And repenting means changing your mind, changing your inner man, which in essence means you've decided and are determined to turn your mind away from the sin and change your actions and desires to honor Jesus. I read a quote the other day that I thought represented another side of grace pretty well. It said, Grace is not only God's undeserved favor that provides forgiveness and mercy when we sin, but it's also His power that enables us to do whatever He has called us to do in life. He gives His help to those who are humble enough to admit that they need it. We all need help, but a prideful, independent attitude and failing to believe for and trust God's grace will cause us to keep trying to do things in our own strength instead of asking, admitting our inability, and leaning entirely on God. We should trade trying in our own strength for trusting in Jesus. I love that. Trade trying for trusting. Isn't that good? Where are you relying on your own wisdom or abilities rather than trusting in the grace of God? Grace is the greatest gift that you and I have received. So grab it, take hold of it. And as a follower of Jesus, just as you're a recipient of grace, that means you should also be a person of grace quick to give grace to other people. Yet, if we think about it, grace tends to be the least quality that Christians are identified by today. As an ambassador of Christ, you're called to live a grace-filled life and be an outpouring of kindness, God's grace to those around you, in your workplace, at home, 
in your small group, in your community, and yes, even when you're driving behind the wheel of your car in traffic. There are no grace shortcuts. You will fall short, but remember, there's grace for that. So whether you've been following Jesus for two months or 25 years, we all need reminders of the character of God and the privilege of being his sons and daughters. And it's one thing to know the truth of God's word. It's quite another to actually live it daily. We're all works in progress, but remember that from the overflow of his fullness, you have received grace heaped upon more grace. In the day-to-day moments of life, Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see, grasp, and be grateful for God's grace. Well, I'm glad you joined me today. I really pray that this message encourages you. You can download a copy of this message on our website at christianworkingwoman.org. There's oodles of resources geared towards coming alongside you as you grow in your faith. And have you heard about our coaching program launching in 2024? We're super excited to offer this new ministry of the Christian Working Woman. It's a six-month, biblically-based coaching program for women in the workplace. So if you're a woman in the workplace and you have goals that you want to reach personally and professionally, and you'd like some coaching around opportunities and challenges that you might be facing in the workplace, consider applying to be a part of our 2024 coaching cohort. It's an awesome opportunity to be in community with other women who are committed to growing and glowing for Christ in the workplace. So if this piques your interest, even if you have a little bit of a nudge, go to our website at christianworkingwoman.org. You can download and submit an application online and someone will follow up with you. Again, check out our website at christianworkingwoman.org. That's christianworkingwoman.org. Thanks, Lisa. Information about that coaching program and many other resources like our devotionals, our Zoom events, our weekend getaway, they're all available on our website. We hope that you'll take advantage of that. Well, we're so grateful that you could join us today for The Christian Working Woman, and we hope you'll be with us again next week also. 